So I'll let you in on a, a little secret. I always pray that the Holy Spirit won't move on Saturday night. Because I don't want to change my message come Saturday night. That's just a little too late for me. I, 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 you know, I'm hoping the Holy Spirit has done all its work on me for the days ahead of that. But I have to tell you, the Spirit moved last night. And I need to share it just a little bit before I get to my message. So my husband and I were uptown last night. And um, as we were leaving, maybe about 9.30, we were um, coming up down Trine Street and right there in front of First Methodist, that town, down from the Discovery Center, is Mike Bloomberg's office, his campaign office. Now, don't worry, it's not going to be a commercial. But there's his office, right? All signs and everything put up in the windows and so forth. And right under the signs and the windows, there are people asleep. You get it? <laughs> Bloomberg, billions, homeless, and Charlotte. And, and I just couldn't help. And it's not Bloomberg. It's, it's any billionaire, our president included, Bloomberg too, who thinks that we're so impressed by the argument over who's richer. Are we? God forbid a Christian is, right? I mean, who's got more money? Therefore, who can help the country make more money? Y'all, that's not why we vote. And heaven help us if we're impressed by the argument over who has more billions. Come on. Spirit was moving. And it could be any of the candidates. I'm not advocating. But let's, let's not be impressed by that. And I'm very visual, and so I, I, I couldn't preach this morning without just naming it. And, and I was coming in here, and it's disturbed my soul, and, and what will I do? And I come in here this morning, and I'm running late, and again, I'm praying, Spirit, don't move again. And, and I go to fill up my water bottle, and I see one of our guests from last night at Room in the Inn who's getting on the bus, homeless, going back to the streets, and she's pregnant. And I, I don't know what you're going to do with that. I don't know what to do with it. But I couldn't deny that God was moving, that the Spirit had a message for us this morning in some way. And, and I, I said this, shared this at the early service. I, I didn't know that Room in the Inn still needed people to help, but I got told that they do. And I'm not one who thinks guilt is a great motivator. Don't hear that. But I am one who thinks that a call from God is defined by the world's needs and our gifts. And if you hear a call, sign up. Because I think just within 12 hours, those images <laughs> and that wrestling, it's just too much. It's just too much not to name it as, as God moving and the Holy Spirit afflicting the comfortable. Because the afflicted aren't comfortable. Now, if you will, please stand. <laughs> We'll move to our scripture this morning, which is from uh, Matthew. It's a beautiful verse. Most, if you've been in the church for a while, know it's, it's just, just marvelous. But it's uh, chapter 6, verses 24 through 34. So hear now this word of God. No one can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. That's strong language. Slave will either love the one and hate the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. 
Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to the span of your life? And do not worry about clothing. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and thrown into the oven tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you, ye of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries for itself. Today's trouble is enough. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And now let us pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in thy sight. For you are our rock, our redeemer. You are the one who guides us in all things. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So for the last several weeks, you all have had in this service particularly that the polling questions that we've begun each service with. And you all have been the exclusive recipients of that. Feel special. You have received it, but, but last week we decided to take it a little more broad out into the congregation and we put it up on Realm. And, and, and we're not asking these questions just for the sake of asking them. The questions have something to do with worship, have something to do with the message. And who's ever preaching that week has searched the scriptures, has listened to the spirit, has, has begun to craft what it is we will say. And we just want to invite you into that process sometimes, not every week, but, but sometimes, except when we're making our sermons on Friday night or Saturday night at midnight, but sometimes to, to consider what it is that that's coming down on Sunday that, that will be brought up in text. And we start with the text. We're not going to start with your questions. It's not a scientific poll. Not everybody has to answer. We can't enforce that. The findings of the poll are not binding. We're not going to make decisions based on popular vote. But just as a way to say, okay, let's start thinking about a message. Let's start thinking about what it is uh, the Spirit might have for us this weekend. And so the question on Realm this last week was about what do we worry about? What do we worry about? And congratulations to 21% of you who said you don't worry. <laughs> We're going to have you teach our next class. <laughs> what do we worry about? 13% worry about money, 10% about health. 50% worry about family. 
I get that one, boy. On every, I'm one of those. I'm kind of in the Oreo generation where I worry about my parents and my kids. Thank God their parents are still alive, but that brings on worries, siblings, kids. Oh, I get it. Depending on the week, money, health. I mean, it's all in there. I'm like most of you, 80% of you, if you will, that have worries. And what do we do with these worries? How is it that we negotiate them in our lives of faith? And, and, and we're going to seek to consider some of that this week. I, I, or today, I, once I got the results from the Harrison poll, I wanted to compare Harrison to the rest of the country. And so I Googled, what do Americans worry about? And I found it so interesting that when you ask what Americans worry about, that first page that comes up on Google is about fear and stress. Immediately, the questions go to fear and stress. Our worries are grounded in what we're afraid of. I, I hadn't put the two together, but it makes sense. What is it that we fear? What is it that ups our stress level in this world. And, and I, you know, it's hard to find a non-biased poll. I get that. It's always in how you ask the questions. But, but overwhelmingly, it's things like our health, our health care, our government, our family, money, I mean, the environment. All these found their ways in the top 10 of, of the different polls that I looked at or the different articles that I was looking at. But what was universal to all the polls, but every one of them, at least on the first page of Google, named was that our stress as Americans, our anxiety level in this country is increasing. It's going up. And year after year, we see people perhaps more afraid, but absolutely more stressed out. Anxiety's through the roof. And, and consider what that does to health. And lifestyle and how those things bombard us. And so we come to this text today, which is this beautiful text, but it seems quite unreasonable given who we are. Jesus says to us, do not worry, people of God. Really? Quite unreasonable. Do not worry, people of God. Look at the birds in the air and look at the lilies of the field. And how much more does God love you that if God provides for them, will not God provide for you? Don't worry, be happy, right? Is it that easy? Is it that simple? Surely our times are more complicated than Jesus's? Maybe, just I tend to think just different kinds of complications. Don't worry, Jesus says, what in the world? We have legitimate concerns, do we not? What do we do with this admonition? You know, this is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, which we began with the Beatitudes, and we understood that in our study of Scripture, we see right off the bat when Jesus first is teaching the masses, what he wants to say is that the world I'm seeking to create, this kingdom of God that is mentioned in this text, this is a countercultural experience for believers. I'm calling you up and out of the world around you so that you may bear witness to the goodness and the grace of God. So it's no different in this text either. And what Jesus began teaching us in the Beatitudes when there were strange things like blessed are the meek and blessed are the poor in spirit and, and all, blessed are those who mourn and as crazy and ridiculous as that may sound. <laughs> a couple chapters later, he still seems a bit off the mark with don't worry. 
And yet we know that Jesus is inviting us into this alternative experience. This kingdom of God. Where I don't think everything is perfect. Not yet. I don't think our lives are carefree or worry-free. Not yet. I, I don't think that that's where we've gotten to yet. But the admonition at the end of the text to seek first the kingdom of God is what it's all about. Will worries disappear? Probably not. It's not my job to give you a magic pill for that to happen. It's not my job to keep, give you meaningful coping mechanisms to try to work through anxiety or stress. Those are important. But my job as a proclaimer of the gospel, as simply a believer who bears witness, as, as all, of we, all, all of us do, is simply to say, where does relationship with God make a difference in what we worry about, how often we worry, and how we engage life with the stresses and the anxieties that are just part of it? So I can say, absolutely, I believed God will provide. That's what this text is about. There's a request for us from, from Christ here. Consider the birds. Look at the lilies. There's a request. He's inviting us in to think of things differently in this text. The request to, to think otherwise, perhaps from so many around us. And then there's a promise. Do you hear it? The promise of provision. God will provide what we need. Maybe not in the way we expect it. Maybe not in the way that we want it. Maybe not in the way we can receive it without being in right relationship with God or at least working towards it. But this is all part of the kingdom that God has set up through the person of Christ and now that God is continuing to set up through the church. Now, before we get into to, that, again, really visual text, I, I think it's important for us to step back to verse 24. You know, the one about money? I'm not gonna preach a stewardship. So this, I don't think this text is necessarily about money. Maybe in the fall, maybe for a stewardship sermon, sure. But this text on 24 is what sets the stage for the beautiful text with the visuals of the birds and the airs and, 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 and birds in the air and the, the flowers of the field. So listen, listen I think this is so important. Again, setting the stage for who we are as the people of God. No one can serve two masters. That's what he's talking about. No one can serve two masters because you will either love one and hate the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. No one can serve two masters. Do you hear it? He's setting up relationship. He's telling the folks gathered then and us gathered now that when we begin with right relationship, having God as our master, then we begin to experience life as a child of God, seeking first the kingdom of God. Sure, what we do with our money is a spiritual discipline that is a result of where our, our loyalty lies and who we consider our master, but... It's just a byproduct 
the heart of the matter of what Jesus is doing throughout the Sermon on the Mount is telling us, reminding us to be in right relationship where God is God and we are not. And where everything we do and try to think and and consider comes out of that trust in God. So how do we get there? Right? Like I said, our worries are legitimate. We got a lot to be concerned about. A lot, I know that. How do we get to that place? That's what, that's what our practices are about, right? That's what our spiritual disciplines are about that Kyle referred to, that we've been talking about this, this last month that we'll go into Lent with. It's about how we set ourselves, respond to that outstretched hand, respond to that request to consider things anew and from God's point of view, it's how we do it. It's how, it's how it happens. It's the steps that we take in seeking first God's kingdom. Several weeks ago, it was studying scripture. Absolutely. Remember, we began with the Beatitudes. Jesus sat down and taught them. A lot of this is not natural. It's probably natural to worry. Sure. A lot of what God calls us to is not natural. We, we take ourselves with the Holy Spirit or the Spirit gathers us up and sets us apart and gives us eyes that are different from those around us to look and to view and to experience the world. Absolutely, study scripture. That is a huge discipline. Last week, we talked about the S word, submission. Nobody likes that one or I don't like that one. I'm not about to do that and it's not on my own. And yet, do I practice the submission to the wisdom and will of God? It's intentionality. It doesn't come easily. And yet it's the call, it's the discipline that we engage in. It's part of who we are. When Jonathan and I moved to Alaska. We got married in May years ago and moved to Alaska in July. And, and when we got up there, we'd been there just maybe a few weeks. And I realized there are very few songbirds in Alaska. You don't hear what I heard this morning walking my dog, birds singing in the dawn or during the day or at night. We don't hear that. And, and you begin, at least if you're accustomed to that, you begin to, to, to miss it. We did. But of course, up there, there are all kinds of different animals and birds. And, and the one that I, that I thought of this week was the Arctic tern. Has anybody ever heard of the Arctic tern? No? Yeah, okay. So for my ornithologists, SAT word, who knows it? Those who study birds. My orintho- so the Arctic tern, their whole purpose in life is to chase light. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. Their whole purpose in life is to chase light. So what they do is they go from one pole in this world to the other in three months. Be astonished. 25,000 miles on the average. They go from one pole on this earth, the North Pole, Alaska to Antarctica, or wherever they find themselves in the top of the world. But they, and they do it because they have purpose. 
and they know their purpose. They understand their purpose. And so when I was considering birds this week, I began to think about that Arctic turn and how driven it was to accomplish its goal, to be part of what it needs to be a part of for survival, to chase the light. It knows what it's about, whether it could tweet it or not, literally. It's innate to who the bird is. And we're asked to consider the birds of the air. What lesson is it that we can learn? I think it's figuring out our purpose. It's figuring out our role. It's figuring out what we need to do and how we need to behave in order to accomplish that goal to be who God is calling us to be. All that bird does is fly, eat, barely sleep, but they can glide while, they fly, while they're asleep. Isn't that interesting? They glide while they're asleep. Reproduce and get from one pole to the other. They know what they're about. What are we about? Again, back to the practices, back to how it is that God is forming us into the people God knows, us, knows that we can be. The S word for this week, here's one more practice that can help us live into that seeking first the kingdom of God. That S word simply is this, solitude. How are we doing with that one? Solitude, do you know what it means? You ever experience it? The simple, intentional, quiet space that we set aside in order to listen. God knows we don't do enough of that. The simple, intentional, quiet space that we set aside in our lives to listen. That's so countercultural. I don't even have to tell you about it that it's wholly other, that it's new and renewing and it's refocusing us on our purpose as those who seek first the kingdom of God. That's what I'm learning from the birds this week. How is it that we locate ourselves in a space to listen? It's not easy. When my kids were little, we lived up in the mountains and it, it took us 20 minutes to go just about anywhere we needed to go. 20 minutes to go 15 miles. And in Charlotte, when we moved to Charlotte, it took us 20 minutes to go two miles. But you, you relate? We were in the car a lot. And always while we were in the car, the kids would be chattering or there would be a song on. My husband banned Barney. Does anybody remember Barney? Couldn't listen. He couldn't stand. Anyway, we had songs going or the kids talking. And this was before tablets and phones and all that that kids are on making noise with now. And, and it just was this chaotic space in this tiny little area. And you'd get just fed up with all the noise. And so we invented this game called the silent game. Oh, oh yeah, the parents are all nodding. Who can win being quiet the longest? It was a great game, especially if my niece was in the car. But anyway, who can go the longest without making a noise? Isn't this going to be a great game? It's just going to be so much fun. Who can last the longest without saying a word? And kids need it too. Solitude. Who can win? And I'm telling you, in that compact space for those few minutes, wherever we were going, that silence was like a drink of cold water on a hot day. You get it. That space, that silence, that refreshment where we just set aside time to be still 
to listen, to remind ourselves that God is God and we are not. Richard Foster says that when you practice the discipline of solitude, you give up your need for self-justification. You give up your need to prove to everybody else who you are, what you are, how you are, whatever. You give up that need by just sitting in solitude and acknowledging that God is God and God's got this even when we don't. You sit there and you listen and you let the world pass you by and you consider the birds of the air and the lilies of the field and you know we are called to live differently. Amen. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, come and guide us in these moments. Guide us in these days ahead, listening to you for a practice that you call us to. For a means that we would be able to hear you, align ourselves with you, focus on who it is you want us to be in this world. Help us. Because we need it. Amen. Go in peace. Amen.